I did not like where our food scene was going. And it's actually part of why I was focusing a lot more on my milligram is that I was finding a lot more creativity and optimism in the cannabis space mm. and opportunity versus the food scene, which was becoming very precious, very expensive, uh, very elitist. And also the Instagramification of our food world was just grossing me out. That was Marcia Galliardi of Table Hopper and My Milligram. I'm Jeff, and this is Storied San Francisco. In this podcast, Marcia picks up where she left off in part one, with her return from Italy, first to LA, and then back to the Bay Area. She tells us about various jobs she had before the dot-com recession in 2000. It wasn't long after that that Marcia had the idea to start a newsletter highlighting the bars and restaurants she loved. And that's how Table Hopper was born in 2006. Fast forward to 2018 and the launch of My Milligram, Marcia's media brand that features reviews of low-dose and high-quality cannabis products made in California. She ends the podcast with her outlook on the future of San Francisco, specifically her thoughts on changes we're already seeing in the food and drink industry. Here's Marcia. I was really happy in L.A. I was having a great time. And um, I think... You know, just there was a lot of opportunity in Los Angeles from, there was part of me that was wondering about Hollywood and screenwriting and, sure. you know, pursuing that path or publications, um, publishing. Mm-hmm. And then I was working, when I graduated, I was working like three jobs. It was really funny. I was, um, <laughs> I was working at a high end furnishing showroom. Um, I also was working it was, this was so interesting. It was, uh, I was conducting interviews for a sex study. Okay. Um, so that was like, that was wild. Um, yeah. yeah. And they were like two and a half hour intakes of like talking to women about their entire, all their sexual experiences of their life. Um, was this for a study for your, what, it was, like for, it was a study for UCLA. UCLA. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I was, do- <laughs> oh my God, I was doing all kinds of crazy things like hair modeling. Um, <laughs> my hair just kept getting progressively shorter and shorter and shorter. Um, so yeah, I was like doing all these hustles. And then the Northridge quake happened. In 94. A good memory. Jan- January? Yep. yep. Uh, January 17th at like 3.15 in the morning. And uh, I heard it before it struck. Oh. It was so loud. Okay. Um, and I knew immediately what it was and I'm like, ah, shit. And just started running out of my bed and, um, it knocked me down and felt the whole house shift. And like, I've ever seen the transformers blowing out outside my window, old lady screaming downstairs. Like it was horrible. Everything in the kitchen, all the kitchen cabinets, everything just opened up. Like it was, it was a nightmare. Were you worried? Like your whatever house or building you're in? I thought I was going to die. Yeah, I did. Um, We've got yeah. a lot of folks who shared stories of 89, but I, this oh. might be our first 94. Um, yeah, I was here for 89, too. Um, that was, And that was scary. It was really scary. I just remember it was in the, the, I was selling men's fragrances at Emporium in San Mateo. <laughs> yes. And I remember I was in the bathroom putting on my lipstick to go back to work. And again, I heard the sound. I'm like a dog. I'm all, right. I'm yeah. all what is that? That's yeah. not, a, that's not normal. And I, I started running out of the bathroom and it was like this whole food court thing. 
and I'm such a brat, but my thought as I was under the table was I was like, and there were people screaming, there was like a TV falling off, and I was like, I don't want to die with these people. That was my thought. I was so mad. I was like, I'm not going out like this. Yeah. And then the North Ridge quake, like hearing the old lady downstairs screaming, and like, I just I was like, I remember, I was screaming, I'm not ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it finally stopped. Um, but yeah, my apartment was red tagged, had to evacuate it. Um, and my roommates had just taken off to Australia and they, one of them was a musician and they, and like, I had to, I'd had to track them down. Like, do you even know what's happened? And so, yeah, I had to like hire these big guys to come take their, take their stuff out in the middle of the night and get it into storage. Cause and, the earthquake was in the middle of the night. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And they red tagged it like two days later. Um, there were cracks I could see through in the walls. It was, oh it was awful. It was angry. I, the force of it. Yeah. It was pretty scarring. I had total PTSD for a while. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, my parents were like, are you coming home? After that? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, you know, and at the time I was like, you know, I need, I don't want to make this decision out of panic. Fear. Yeah. Right. And I was like, you know, let me think about this. And so I had a friend who was letting me crash at her place. And then I was like, you know, I should go home. Like, yeah, the earthquakes up there are nicer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very friendly. They're they're, they're, yeah, they're gentle. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it was like I had no money. I, you know, the idea of even having to like pay for a new security deposit on a place. And it just, it was, it was complicated. Um, so yeah, I came home. So was it 94 that you came back? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Was it mostly like, um, I'm going back to home. Like, even if you, I don't know if you lived with your parents, but it's like, you know. That was and I'll, fi- and I'll figure it out. Yeah. Go home and figure yeah. it out. Yeah. It was, it, and it, there was kind of, there was like a recession light happening then mm-hmm. in 94. Like mm-hmm. it was hard to find work actually. Mm-hmm. There weren't a bunch of jobs. Um, so yeah, I just started looking and looking and looking and looking and found a job at Wadsworth, uh, higher education textbook publishing okay. on the phones uh, doing customer service for professors okay. with helping them with their instructor's manuals and the books they'll need. And, um, so that has changed my relationship with any time I ever need to call anybody sure. from Xfinity to whatever. Like that is a hard ass job. Yes. Be nice to these people. It's not be nice. their fault. Be nice. I mean, they can be shitty like anyone, totally. can be shitty, but n- nine times, 99 times out of a hundred. Yeah. It's like, yeah. If you have someone shitty, I'm just like, call back and talk to someone Right, else. right, yeah. I just call back till I get the answer I want. But mm-hmm. yeah, so that was, um, so I was, but yeah, living at home. I mean, thank you. Thank you to my parents for letting me come back home. But oh my God, I was like, I need to get the F out of here. Yep. Like, I need to get back to my life. Mm-hmm. So I um, started looking for an apartment in San Francisco. Okay. Still and, 94 or? Yep. Okay. Yep. And then uh, it was funny because, let's see, so in 94, the trick that I learned <laughs> was I would get the Sunday paper on Saturday mm-hmm. and go through the classifieds and start calling for appointments. Mm-hmm. And so that way I would be like one of the first to see places. And so, but I was, I really wanted to live in lower Knob Hill, Tender Knob. I've always loved that neighborhood. I thought it was, it had so much history. It was so cool. But every place I looked at was a dump, mm-hmm. just a dump. And I'm like, I I can't. And I kept looking. And then when I found this place, uh, where I've been living for the past 26 years on Broderick, I never moved. 
Okay. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, and it was crazy, too, because when I pulled up, I remember I was like, oh, my God. Like, is this the, is this, is this the building? And it's like, this, it's this gorgeous Queen Anne. And I walked up, and then I was going up the stairs and kept going up, 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 up. And I'm like, oh, my God, it's the top floor. And I walked in, and, you know, it was this little studio, and the landlady was there, and there was a guy that was ahead of me. And he wanted the place, but he didn't have his checkbook. So mm. she couldn't do the security check and the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And I looked at her and I said, I have a checkbook. I also have cash. <laughs> I was like, whatever you want. Uh, she's like, sorry, young man. I'm going to give the place to the young lady. Wow, just right in front of <laughs> Right him. there. I know. Sorry. Hey, I, yeah. he learned. Yeah. I hope. I, yeah. Or, <laughs> or he doesn't live here anymore right? as of 26 years. Yeah. Later. He's just like, that bitch. So you've been in your place 26 years, so you pay like $60 in rent. (laughs) I pay a little more than that, but it is... That is amazing. It's an amazing thing. I I know I'm one of the rare folks. Yeah. Like, when people come over, they're like, oh my God, this is so dense. It's like so San Francisco. Right. Yeah, it's like Bohemian headquarters, basically. My my pied a terre. Can we lightning round from from getting the apartment on Broderick to like all the in-between... So let's see. So yeah, I was in the higher education textbook publisher for a while, commuting down to San Mateo or Beaumont. And then I was dating this guy who I met up here and he's like, you know, you're doing a job that's eventually I moved out of the phones and I made it into the marketing department. I was a traffic manager and working with all of the promotions. And uh, he's like, you know, your, your job exists in ad agencies in the city. Mm -hmm. He's like, I know someone who has your exact job. He's like, and I know someone who's hiring. I was like, fantastic. So I met, Teresa Cheney and ended up working at Goldberg Moser O'Neill, which was this very successful ad agency on Maiden Lane. It was a dream job to be like 24 and working with all of these creative people, brilliant people, big personalities. And I would have to run up and down these six floors, um, getting sign offs on, on ads and, um, eventually then I moved to a smaller boutique agency, uh, hilariously named Blazing Paradigm. Oh my God. <laughs> I know. I was like, you guys. Um, and that's where I made the transition to being a copywriter. I was, okay. they, they quickly realized I was a frustrated creative. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and then I got laid off in 2000 because mm-hmm. dot bomb mm-hmm. was a nightmare then. Uh, but that became, so I had a creative partner, Hillary, and we were collectively known as Marcillery. Um, cause we both, we'd go out dancing a lot. We had always wore bright lipstick, curly hair, loud, just marcillary. Uh, so we went off on our own and formed our own creative partnership and, uh, we're do we were doing work for like electronic arts and other, some like gaming and then Volvo and things like that. Still doing copywriting. Yep. Copywriting okay. and like creative idea generation and marketing Mm -hmm. and then back then it was guerrilla marketing oh yeah yeah so we we would come up with some pretty crazy you know marketing campaigns we did some really cool shit that um yeah it was fun i found some some old portfolio pieces recently i was like oh that was a good idea that was good and it was an exciting time but also really hard work and eventually she moved to la and i was like okay well what do i really want to do it's like and I always spent all my money on food. 
I was always, but if I could go eat in a restaurant, that's what I would go do. Mm-hmm. That are like vintage clothes. So that was, mm-hmm. and um, really big into cocktails. And, and I realized people weren't really experiencing the city and writing about it the way I was. And I was like, why isn't there a newsletter about just like the cool things going on with all these awesome bars opening and, you know, anything from like, taco trucks to you know some more fun places that you could go drink at and carry on and um it was when uh, there was this newsletter called daily candy that was out so it was kind of when like the whole like newsletter thing was really taking off and i knew i didn't want to do a blog because from my advertising background i knew that i would get a higher advertising premium um through actually getting into people's inboxes so So that's how I structured it. And okay. um, yeah, it's funny to go back and look at my business plan. I was like, wow, like it kind of kind of held held true in the, the content, then the, the different sections of Table Hopper. Um, it's been an amazing experience to be able to write about my city for 15 years and that I could never lose the job because I have, you're, you're yeah, that's it. I'm boss of me. Mm-hmm. So, um, Where'd you come up with the name? It's funny. I came up with it. I was really sick. And um, I remember that afternoon, I, I was like, okay, you can take a nap. But I was like, you need to brainstorm about your business name. You need to think about it. And so I was like, well, what am I? I'm like, I'm kind of like a girl Friday. I'm like a girl about town. I'm a table hopper. And I was like, Shit! I remember getting out of bed, and going to register.com, and typing it in. I'm like, oh my god, it's table, available. Table hopper. It's like yes. That intersection of you like the name and it's available. It was Boom. it was it was a lightning rod moment and nice. Yeah, so that uh, that's how that happened. And, and then, can you recall at at that time or around that time, what were like three of your favorite either bars or restaurants? Uh, or... Okay. Um, I loved, I loved, well, I'd have to look back officially and see, but sure. when Bizu became Coco 500, okay. uh, in Soma, like Scott Baird was doing cocktails there. And I just remember how much fun it was to go into that little bar and see what he was working on and, um, yeah, like I, I loved that whole scene. Uh, that neighborhood I, was a lot different. Oh yeah. Then. Yeah. It was funky. Everyone, you know? it was busy. Yeah. People. Anyway. Yeah. And like, and there was, you know, you'd have little parties that would go on down there. Like, yeah, it was just, it was, yeah, it was a funky vibe. Okay. Um, I also, I loved going to the orbit room mm. when. You know what? I swear to God, that was one of the thing places that as you were talking about, uh, cocktail it bars. It came into your mind? And, yeah. yeah. And, and I was wondering if you... Oh, Alberta Straub yeah. was like... She was such a progenitor of our entire cocktail renaissance here and I, I don't think she ever really like got her due in right. the right way. Um, but yeah, hanging out at the Orbit Room was like one of my favorite yes. favorite hangouts. I loved it. That's where I learned what a caipirinha is. Oh, nice. I, and yeah. with the ginger that she would put in it, too. Oh, wait, I remember she, oh the muddled, fresh. The muddled ginger in there. So totally. Yeah. Anyway. One more. Um, slow Club. Oh, Slow Club was so sexy. Like, and it was that whole... Um, 
it's kind of San Francisco industrial modern look, like kind of like Universal Cafe, um, 42 degrees back then as well. Let me think. Foreign cinema. Mm-hmm. Like all of these places had that chic look. Yeah. Um, but we're pushing, you know, California cuisine. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Slow Club. I used, I used to love hanging out there, um, getting a drink in the back. And like it just was always, always the right vibe. Let's hear how did my milligram what oh, I, and, and if yeah. there's a backstory, go for it. <laughs> so my milligram, um, you know, I, as a Northern Californian, grew up with cannabis, you know, smoked it, enjoyed it, <laughs> listened to a lot of Led Zeppelin, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Grateful Dead shows, the whole thing. Um, but then eventually, like, weed got too strong for me, and I stopped enjoying it. I started getting paranoid. And then um, fast forward to a friend who was asking me to help her on some uh, cannabis project that she was going to be working on and launching. And she wanted me to do a lot of research for her. And she introduced me to CBD because she was taking it for pain. Uh, She had a really terrible car accident years before. And so it had really changed the quality of her life. Mm -hmm. So she educated me about CBD and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then I started going to all these different dispensaries to look at what products were out there and noticed how high milligram everything was, was like, you know, hundred milligram cookies. And I was like, oh my God, that's going to kill me. (laughs) (laughs) I will die. And um, I would, I would ask people, I'm like, what is your bunkest weed? Like what has the like least amount of THC and they're like, why? Yeah, what does no one else yeah. want? <laughs> like, who is this chick? And I just be like, I was like, what is the lowest dose cookie? Like, it, so it was, it was me always being looked at in this way, like I was nuts and like just a weirdo. And I was like, no, I'm just super sensitive to THC. But I, my friend, um, he has this cannabis olive oil that he makes called Poda Wheel. Mm-hmm. And it's a brilliant product because one milliliter is one milligram. So I was able to experiment with this product at home and dial in my exact optimal dosage where I was like really happy and figure out the timing and the onset. And after a while, I'm like, wait a minute, this is what people need to understand about cannabis. Like what, the more I learned about its many benefits for wellness and well-being and giggles, <laughs> insight, <laughs> all of it. Uh, I had a different relationship with the plant by being able to control my consumption. Okay. Your and, dosage. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And like, um, not it, things not being just the, the cookie or the brownie or the joint that you're being passed, mm-hmm. but actually controlling with a beverage or mm-hmm. a tincture. And so it just launched me onto this journey of sharing this information with friends, getting really excited about the innovation of these products. Uh, the science is incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though like the way that they're emulsifying uh, products and like, and how do you, how do you get cannabis into a beverage? And right. when it's fat soluble, like it's incredible. The technology is incredible. So uh, yeah. So my milligram was launched three years ago as a way to really educate people about the top, products and applying a lot of my knowledge around food to how I assess cannabis. How is it sourced? How is it grown? How is it being made? So yeah, if it's just some shitty chocolate someone's using to make, you know, a chocolate bar, like I'm not going to be enthusiastic about that. Right. Uh, just because it happens to like have weed in it. 
Right. <laughs> I'm not impressed. Um, so it's been incredible to watch how the industry has really been working more on the culinary side. I mean, now we have Dominique Crenn and Enrique Olvera of Puyol in Mexico City working on gummies. Um, nice. That's wild. So for me, like also really coming out for people to help destigmatize it. It's like, guess what? I'm a highly functioning <laughs> stoner. Like right. it helps me get my work done. And people are always like, how do you get everything done? And like, you, you work like a beast. I'm like, yeah, but cannabis helps counteract that. Like the, I just, I'm here to completely destroy the lazy stoner stereotype. It's, 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 it's a lazy stereotype. Um, and yeah, so my milligram, I've done events. Uh, I have a newsletter, uh, but also I really have a lot of fun curating the content for my Instagram feed because it's, it's like very neon. It's, uh, it's how cannabis feels in my body. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, full of color and I, I like to just share the positivity that cannabis brings to me and to others. And I've been so happy to see how we can take care of our elders mm -hmm. with it. Mm -hmm. That to me is the most beautiful part of my work. Uh, when my dad refers a friend to me to like help him with, you know, his arthritis or, you know, his wife's having trouble sleeping and to be able to guide people to the right products. So I'm kind of like a cannabis matchmaker in a way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I love it. So, I, I mean, I don't know where that's all going to go. Um, I started a big venture a year ago that then didn't work. It was a subscription box mm -hmm. for people, but my delivery partner went kaput. So mm -hmm. that was very unceremonial. Uh, <laughs> no, you made the mistake of bringing other people into it. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, sadly. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out my path forward. It'll be great now that we can have events again and, gather yes. Yes. yes so fingers crossed I, rabbit's feet rubbed yes in the totally um before we get to the the kind of the thing that i want to wrap up with yeah. how do people find both table hopper and my Billion? so uh tablehopper.com is where you can sign up for my bi-weekly newsletter and my milligram.com is a sporadic newsletter my content used to be more regular but It'll, it'll be appearing in your inbox in some form soon. Um, I'm also on Instagram at Tablehopper and at my Milligram. And um, I'm pretty active, somewhat active on Twitter at Tablehopper, sometimes at my Milligram. Um, it's a lot to keep these channels going. Um, you have to tell me. Yeah, you know. And then uh, I have a YouTube channel as well for my Milligram. Uh, it's just youtube.com slash my Milligram for some educational videos about some of my favorite products. With she didn't say it, but please subscribe. Oh, thank you. Um, you can meet Mrs. Doper. Okay. <laughs> she comes out in a moo moo and oh, smoking yeah. a joint. Oh yeah, I've got full full calf tan. <laughs> it's Doper. yeah, it's Mrs. Doper is here to talk to you about some things. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Um, thank you. What we've been doing this season, our our theme is we're still here, um, through especially the last year. Yeah. Everything that's happening, um, but I think again with the intersection of your experience not only living here but mm -hmm. writing about food and drink can we hear your your thoughts on where we are and and where we're going in the near term um how do you feel about it i i, I know the work you're doing mm. contributing but do you feel optimistic pessimistic Oof. something in between i mean as someone who's been documenting the implosion of so many businesses the past year, 
through no fault of their own. And it was happening right before the pandemic. Yes. Remember? Yeah, it's all, yes. It was already so hard yes. to run any kind of food business in San Francisco to then, you know, just really watching people's dreams that and businesses that I've written about before they were, you know, when they were still a business plan or they hadn't even had, they didn't even have their location yet to then with their opening and now suddenly writing their, yeah, their obit. Um, I know I said to a friend, I'm like, I feel like I've become an obituary writer this year. It's been Mm, hard. Um, but I will totally say this. I did not like where our food scene was going and it's actually part of why I was focusing a lot more on my milligram is that I was finding a lot more creativity and optimism in the cannabis space Hmm. and opportunity versus the food scene, which was becoming very precious, Hmm. very expensive, uh, very elitist. And also the Instagramification of our food world was just grossing me out. I'm like, are you even eating it? Do you even like it? Can you even know the story behind this? Like... Uh, the fetishization of food for the sake of like the lighting or the neon sign, like this soulless. Right. Um, so what's happening is, you know, with all of these side hustle businesses and all of these spaces suddenly becoming open again and rents coming down, what I'm finding is, you know, we're seeing this bubbling up that happened in the previous recession of people working together on shared spaces and like, you know, the whole pop-up model to really follow their dream and their passion about what they like to make and trying to find a space and an audience for it. And now that we do have these tools like Instagram and TikTok, you can really spread the word on what you're doing quickly and you don't necessarily have to have a lot of capital to do it if you've got a lot of hustle in you. Um, so I think what's going to happen is, you know, we're seeing a lot of movement of with rents and things, but for so many of these long-term businesses that are just really an integral part of our fabric, they have been ripped apart and bankrupted. And, you know, I'm hearing horrible figures of businesses being over a hundred thousand dollars in debt that they're coming into this just reopening since the recession. Yes. Yes. Recession and the pandemic. Yeah. Um, wow. So, you know, it's kind of this double-edged sword where I am mourning the, stress and the exhaustion and the loss i'm also welcoming the creativity the optimism the sheer resilience of people in our food industry blow my mind Uh, the way that they and like you could really see during the pandemic who was showing up and feeding the community uh taking care of each other And then the other big shuffle is, you know, a lot of people, you know, we're talking about this labor shortage right now. Well, guess what? People don't want to work in the restaurant industry anymore. Like there's no money and it's so much has been revealed about just so many levels of deep injustice Mm -hmm. and racism and sexism and not being appreciated. And it's brutal. Mm -hmm. So the optimistic side of my vision is you know seeing some restaurants who are trying to find different formats of no you know creating a non-tipping policy or a you know service included really making sure the back of house is compensated fairly yes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's like something so in my podcast on the fly that's why i want to come back for the second season is is to start documenting what's happening with 
um, businesses coming back and how are they going to try to do things differently. And we as the dining public need to be supportive of these changes they're trying to make. And, you know, like look at the La Cocina Municipal Marketplace and Yes, like one of the most exciting things to have happen and in the hardest corner, like the open air drug market in the Tenderloin. Right. Now they are creating this headquarters for these brick and it's a brick and mortar for these immigrant dreams mm-hmm. to open and serve food and 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 to be paid fairly for mm-hmm. it. Um, and guess what? Good food costs money. Unfortunately, um, but there are ways that people can be fed there for their, you know, they have their, their daily, um, it's like $5 meal that they, different plates they offer. So, you know, I just, I think we're going to see, um, a big reshuffling of, of priorities. And if people are going to just try to do things like we did in the past, you're not paying attention. You're going to become a dinosaur. So, you know, I, I'm happy to see. Um, yeah, just some of that, some of that change happening and eliminating just the white maleness of the restaurant industry, like not interested, not interested. I am like, (laughs) we have so many other voices and faces that need to be put front and center. And this is happening within food media. So I, I'm really happy to, to see, um, consciousness raising and awareness raising and, and being supportive of everyone's journey too. Um, a lot of people have not had the breaks that others get and being aware of our privilege. Um, and yeah, and even me as a white woman, like I've had a lot of just looking at self and my own coverage. And um, I think I have always been a voice of, of equity here in the city and but there are things that I was like, oh, you know, you might have been able to include this person and pay more attention to that. And so, you know. Is that another thing you think the last roughly year has helped you? Yes. To do? Yeah. yeah, definitely. And certainly, yeah. I mean, for me, like with my On The Fly podcast, I was like, oh, well, I'm in charge here. So who am I going to talk to? Women. <laughs> I want to talk to women. I want to talk to women that people don't hear from. Like some voices some people are like oh i don't know who that is and i'm like okay well listen to her story right. and listen to what she's doing um and a lot of i think a lot of women also who just don't take the microphone and don't mm-hmm. promote themselves but they have so much magnificence that they offer that i wanted to amplify those stories and um and certainly with the black lives matter movement um that was a very powerful time to be documenting stories um still is. That was Marcia Galliardi. On the next episode of Storied San Francisco, you'll get to know comedian and DJ Larry Dorsey Jr. Look for episode eight next week. Music for the podcast was produced, performed, and curated by Otis McDonald. Original photography is by Michelle Kilfeather. Aaron Lim of Bitch Talk Podcast is our contributing producer. And the show is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Hunt. Now in our fourth season, we have more than 150 episodes available on our website, storiedsf.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you can, subscribe, rate, and review our show so we can reach even more folks. 
And if you'd like to drop us an old-fashioned email, we'd love that. The address is storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay strong, stay healthy, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a proud member of the BFF.FM podcast network. Learn more at podcasts.bff.fm. BFF.FM, best frequencies forever.